Let's go ahead and sing verse 1 of Mansion Over the Hilltop, number 629, verse 1. And then we'll have our missionary moments and pray and get started with Sunday school, everyone, okay? 629, 629. I'm satisfied with just the cottage below, a little silver, a little gold, but in that city where the ransom will shine. fun, isn't it? It's not. It's not that we would ask that <laughs> literally, but we can look forward to that, can't we? Yes. We're studying the major Bible doctrines, and Ken kicked us off, if you will. Oh, that sounds weird. Ken did the kickoff for this in Bibliology a few weeks back, and now it's my turn. We have five guys who are uh, teaching this class, and there are a variety of subjects, and it includes, of course, Christology, which is next. Sean will be pray for Sean as he prepares to teach about the doctrine of Jesus Christ, and that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Also, uh, right now, I'm as you see on your handouts, I'm uh, addressing the subject of theology proper or the study of, of God. And we learn about that in the Bible. That's why we looked at the Bible, the doctrine of the Bible first. Anyway, there are other subjects like angelology. I hope you're looking forward to that. The very last one will be eschatology. Of course, you have, that's last thing. So that, I'm looking forward to that as well. What's that? <laughs> Alan will be. He's the one who raised his hand for eschatology. Thank you, Alan. So, or at least told me that he was willing. So today, as we begin, I will jot down some prayer requests, but before I do that, I'll read a little humor stuff. <clears throat> Here is something to consider. English is an odd language, of course, to many. We begin with a box. And the plural is boxes, okay? But the plural of ox became oxen, not oxes. <laughs> That's English, okay? One fellow is a goose, but two are called geese, right? Yet the plural of moose should never be meese. You may find a lone mouse or a nest full of mice, which, yes, I have. Yet the plural of house is houses, not heis. <laughs> 
if the plural of man is always called men, why shouldn't the plural of of pan be called pen? (laughs) Here's another one. I spoke of my foot and show you my feet. And I give you a boot. Would a pair be called beat? (laughs) If one is a tooth and a whole set are teeth, why shouldn't the plural of booth be called beef? <laughs> so anyway, there's a little of that. That's kind of fun stuff. Well, we started out a couple weeks ago with the existence of God. And last week we started the essence of God. And next week we'll be looking at the eminence of God in our study called Theology Proper. So today, if you have page four, it should read, The Essence of God Continued at the top, okay? This subject is one that certainly a lot of people struggle with and have tried to give answers to those who criticize it. And so I thought I would spend a whole lesson time on this one subject. I believe the best Evidence, if you will, for this subject we're calling the triunity of God is what the Bible says and put it all together. Does the Bible use the term trinity or triunity? No, it doesn't. We don't find that in our Bibles. However, we do find Godhead in the Bible in Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. And so we'll see that in a little while. Lord willing, we'll get to that verse. Instead of trying to explain it with illustrations, I'm proposing to answer people. Just I'm giving you a sampling of verses and a little bit of space to make some of your own notes here on the handout. Maybe circle a verse that you can use later to explain these related subjects to the triunity of God. Why am I using triunity rather than trinity? Okay, because trinity seems to only be half the picture. Okay? Trinity indicates there are three persons. Okay, trinity. Triunity indicates there are three but one. That's why I've chosen triunity, okay? And I'm not alone in that. You may see that as you read elsewhere. What we're going to do is as fast as practical with, very, with a few comments along the way. We'll go ahead and read the verses that I have before us in our handouts. Number one, Bible evidence for the unity of God. Go ahead to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. This is called the Great Shema passage. The Hebrews, the Jews, still use this to this day as one of their wrote, if, I, if you will, repeated verses that uh, make them distinct from other religious systems in the world. Back in their day, when Deuteronomy was written, they were the only monotheistic people in the world. Everyone else was polytheistic. You know what that means. 
So this is what verse 4 says, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. By the way, God is Elohim, and we'll talk briefly about that in a little while. The Lord our God is one Yahweh, one Lord. Okay? Go to Mark 12, 29. Mark 12, verse 29. I don't, I don't want to read all the verses today. So, as quickly as you can, let's go to these verses. And whoever is first there, just raise your hand. I'll be able to see that, and you read that, okay? Mark 12, 29. Anybody? Okay, go ahead. And Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, wasn't he? Very good. John 17, 3. John 17, 3. Alan, did I see your hand? Oh, okay. Nope. The only true God. This evidence for the unity of God sets the Bible and the God of the Bible apart from all other forms. That would be more than one God. Number two, there's evidence in the Bible for a uniplural God. I know that is an odd way to put it in my uh, word processor. It left uniplural with a red line under it. <laughs> okay. Genesis 1.26. This is what God said. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over every, all the earth, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Genesis 1 verse 26 is consistent. Man can be singular or plural, Adam. God, Elohim, likewise can be singular or plural. It's a uniplural noun, just as man is. We think of um, <clears throat> Ray as a man, or we speak of mankind, don't we? Okay. It is consistent in the verse, and it is not a mistake. It is in the Hebrew language. Let us make man in our image. The pronouns are important, certainly, as we read verses like that. There's more. Go to chapter 3, verse 22. After Adam and Eve's sin, verse 22 says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. There is another example of God being one, yet somehow a plurality. And we don't need to figure that all out yet, okay? Go to chapter 11. Genesis 11, at the Tower of Babel, when man disobeyed God and did not spread out through the earth, but invented their own religious system, if you will, Genesis 11, verses 5 through 8. Someone please read those. Okay, thank you very much. That is another evidence 
of a unipl- God being uniplural, if you will. Number three, the Bible evidence that the Father is God. Number four, the Bible evidence that Jesus Christ is God. And number five, the evidence that the Holy Spirit is God. Bible evidence. Let's look at the f- uh, number three, Bible evidence that the Father is God. Go to Malachi 2.10. Malachi 2.10. Or as some teasingly call it, Malachi. 2.10. Anybody? Okay. There we find God mentioned as Father. The evidence that Father, the Father is God. John 20.17. I tried to put these in order in the, but it's not exactly that way John 20 verse 17 John 20 verse 17 can't be much clearer than that can it that was Jesus to Mary go to 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6 1 Corinthians 8 6 anyone okay of course here we have of course uh, Jesus Christ included in that verse as one Lord, yet the Father is God, very clearly. Ephesians 4, verses 5 and 6. This one should not surprise you. It says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. And I realize that includes the Holy Spirit being in you all. Go to Romans 1.17. I'm sorry, verse 7. Romans 1.7. This is where I kind of got off as far as the order in the Bible. But Romans 1.7 and Paul's opening comment to this, the believers in Rome. Verse 7, someone? Okay, thank you very much. Now I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 1 because if you... Do a search in any Bible program. You'll find that this kind of statement, Galatians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Verse 3 says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, Yeah, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. To uh, search that kind of statement, you will come up with 245 times in the New Testament. It's incredible. God is called the Father. Number four, Jesus Christ is God and called God in many places. And we won't be able to look at all of these, but... Let's start in the Old Testament. The the triunity of God is not really spelled out for us in the Old Testament, or is it? Psalm 89, 26 and 27. Whoever beats me there, please raise your hand and then start reading, okay? Okay, thank you. Who would be the firstborn? Well, the Bible does certainly give us clues to the the Messiah, Jesus Christ, okay? And so here we have an Old Testament example of Jesus Christ being called God. Go to Isaiah 9, verse 6. We're almost 
approaching Christmas time, Isaiah 9, verse 6 tells us, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, and then what? The Mighty God. So the Old Testament does give us clues as to the Trinity. Matthew 28, 19 shows up several times in this kind of study where we're to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit. That's right. There are some very clear statements. In John's Gospel, verses 1 through 3 and Go to 14.9. John 14.9, okay? Okay. Jesus is God. Jesus Christ is God. Go to Colossians 2. Well, you remember, I'll just, on your way to Colossians 2, I'll just mention about John 20, verse 28. That's where Doubting Thomas said when he saw the prints of the nails and the pierced spot on Christ's side, what did he say? My Lord and my God. Jesus Christ is God. Colossians 2.9. In him who is the him. The context indicates Jesus Christ. Let's end with 1 John 5.20, everyone, on this subject. 1 John 5.20. I'm giving you references that you can keep, tuck away, mark down somehow so that you can use them toward the end of this epistle by the Apostle John, chapter 5, verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, even the Son, I'm sorry, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. It can't be much clearer. Jesus Christ is God. So if the Father is God and Jesus Christ is God, well, how about the Holy Spirit? Go to Isaiah 61.1. Thank you very much, Barb. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus quoted that about himself in Luke 4, verses 16 and following. The Holy Spirit likewise is God. Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. Ananias and Sapphira made, (laughs) they lied and were judged for it in the the early days of the church. In Acts chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, this is what it says. Did I say 4? Acts 5, verses 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto man, but unto God. The Holy Spirit was lied to, and Peter says that's God. The Holy Spirit is God, according to our inspired Bibles, and that's why we looked at that subject first. Go to 1 Corinthians 3. This is a good one, too, to tuck away. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 
Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. If you put that all together and study that, it is indicating the Holy Spirit is God. Let's go to number six. Bible evidence that the Father, Son, and Spirit are one. We've talked about Matthew 28, verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. John 14, verses 16, and 8 through 18. You know what I'm going to do? I think I'll skip ahead. Um, there, Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit f- from the Father. The, the Spirit proceeds from the Father, and, and, and with, when you put those verses together in John 14, you'll recognize that the Holy Spirit is, I'm sorry, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all one. Okay? Are all one. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. I'm looking at our clock, but use this as a reference tool. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Paul signed off with an amen to the Corinthians. Did you see that? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. If you're there, go just a few more pages to Ephesians 4. And look at verses 4 through 7, where it says, well, we've already looked at verses 4 and 5. I'm sorry, and 6. That, verse 7. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And it includes Christ there. One God and Father of all. There's one Spirit, one God and Father. And then verse 7 indicates the gift of Christ as well. One that is a, a difficult one for us, maybe, at times is in First John 5, verses 6 through 9. There is an interesting context here. But verse 7, many say, doesn't belong in the Bible. I say this, well, I don't know that. I don't buy into the science that says verse 7 doesn't belong in the Bible. However, even if it didn't, is the message still there? It is. Let's look at 1 John 5, verses 6 through 9. Verse 7 is the only verse in question. Verse 6, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Verse 8, And there are three that bear witness in earth. This verse is not in question. The spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree in one. And then, of course, verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. Anyway, many, many places the Bible speaks of all three as God. Okay? It, interchangeably. Number seven, here's my conclusion, okay? And this is Matt's, Pastor Matt's eclectic definition. Here we go. I'll give you 
the words to fill in the blanks. The conclusion is the Bible reveals one God and three distinct persons who share the same essence and divinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal, having only a functional subordination. That is, Jesus was subordinate in function to the Father while on earth. That's my eclectic definition. B.B. Warfield puts it this way in your books on page 33. At the top of page 33, Dr. Ryrie says Warfield is one of the best. The doctrine that there is only one and true... Let's see. Is one and only... and true God, but in the unity of the Godhead there are three eternal and co-equal persons, the same is the same in substance, but distinct in subsistence, end quote. That's Warfield's definition of what we're talking about. Here Ryrie says subsistence means being or existence. The word person is really not so good because it seems to indicate separate individuals in the Godhead. But, though we all recognize the deficiency in the word, what better one is there? Ryrie asks, okay? So there is a definition. I'll read it again. The Bible reveals one God and three distinct persons who share the same essence and divinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equal, having only a functional subordination. That is, Jesus was subordinate in function to the Father while on earth. Number eight, tritheism is unbiblical. Tritheism is the belief in it. It's a distorted one in the view that three gods exist. A God called Father, a God called the Son, a God called the Spirit. That is a distorted belief, an unbiblical one. Number nine, Unitarianism, on the other hand, is also unbiblical. This heresy is rooted in Arian teachings that God exists in just one person and that Jesus was not God. They hold that Jesus was a human and a good example. By the way, many cults teach that, Jehovah's Witnesses and many others. However, they would not look to Ralph Waldo Emerson as their leader. They would not. And other Unitarian leaders reject all supernatural aspects of Christianity. Modern Unitarians, and you'll, you'll bump into this sometime, emphasize a united world community. Recognize that? and liberal social action. Number 10, modalism is unbiblical. It's also called Sabellianism. This heresy teaches that there are three modes or manifestations of the one divine person of God. For example, God went into creation mode as the Father, He went into his redemption mode as Jesus. And he went into his regeneration mode as the Holy Spirit. That's an example, okay? That's unbiblical. It is also a heresy. In the last couple of minutes, can we illustrate the Trinity? 
I say maybe in part, but never adequately, can we? We can't adequately illustrate it. But it is a Bible truth. If you could put all of this together, the Bible teaches a triunity of God. Our son Aaron likes the illustration of Neapolitan ice cream. <laughs> it's, it's ice cream, right? And three different flavors or whatever. That almost smacks of modalism. <laughs> okay. People have tried to use, while well, we saw a video a week or so ago about the universe. It's time, it's space, time, and uh, what's the third one? I forgot. Anyway. Anyway, I, I don't remember that one. Some in our, what we can, matter. Thank you. That's the word I was missing. Yeah, space, time, and matter. To illustrate you, if you will, Use, I'm sorry, to use you as an illustration it still isn't quite right. You relate to Wesley and your wife differently than you do me. That, so, but that would be more like modalism. And that's, so it doesn't quite work. But Shane is a husband, he's a grandfather, and he's a, a friend. So we've tried to use illustrations, but they all fall short because God is absolutely perfect in his holiness and beyond our finding out. But we'll try. That's our goal in, in these studies. Any other comments or questions about the Trinity or triunity of God? How's that, Kathy? I'm glad he is. I'm glad he is, too. He's personal with us. He's not just transcendent. Or he's far out there somewhere and we can't relate together. Yes, he's personal with us. I'm glad he is. Yes, it did. And that will be when we get into Christology. He is the manifestation of God in human form, in physical form. Um, yep. in, yeah, in every way. I'm looking forward to that. Yes, Laura? Once again, I am glad he is personal with us. And he is. Okay. It is five till. Let's go ahead and pray and then take some time to fellowship before our morning service. Heavenly Father, thank you again for who you are that you are holy and righteous and perfect in every attribute. And thank you that your essence is revealed in the Bible. Though we can't fully comprehend it, we know that you are personal with us as our Father, our perfect Father, and as our Savior, and as the one who indwells us. Father God, I can't thank you enough, and I ask that our church family would love you more for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.